to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of John, chapter 17, verse 3, as we follow along with today's lesson. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee... Uh, that I might give eternal life to all that you have given me. And this is life eternal. This is, this is the path. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That's eternal life. Knowing the only true God. Now, that acknowledges that there are many false gods. Again, God is not a name. God is a designation. Lord is not a name. Lord is a title. God is a designation of whatever it is that masters your life. That's your God. Lord is a title of, of that, which rule, that one which rules over you. There's only one true God. There are many false gods. The, the Bible says that gods of the heathen are many. And of course, you get into some of the polytheistic religions and, and, and they deified everything, even the emotions. They had a God for every emotion. The God of anger, the God of joy, the God of peace, and every emotion, they had a God for it. But there's only one true God and eternal life only comes by knowing the one true God and his son, Jesus Christ, who he sent into the world. Now Jesus said, I have glorified thee on the earth, and I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Back in the fourth chapter, as Jesus is talking to his disciples at the well there in Samaria where he had just met the woman and had, she had gone back into town to get her live-in lover and the other people to come out and hear the words of Jesus. The disciples, when they returned from town with the food, they offered to Jesus and he didn't eat and he said, I have meat that you don't know about. For my meat is to do the will of the Father and to finish his work. Now, we read in Genesis that in seven days or six days, God created the heavens and the earth and the life forms that are in them. And on the seventh day, God rested from his work. But 
When man sinned, and sin entered the world through man and death by sin, then God began a redemptive work. He first of all chose a family, the family of Abraham, through which to send the Redeemer. Then later on, he narrowed it down to the family of David, But God's work of redemption to redeem the world back to God, to give redemption for mankind, that work God began right after man sinned, the plan of redemption. And Jesus came to finish the work of redemption so that man would not have to be a slave to the flesh or to sin but could be redeemed from the power of sin to serve the living God. And Jesus is declaring here, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And we remember in the 19th chapter, there is Jesus' hanging on the cross. It said he bowed his head and said it is finished. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. I've done it. He's accomplished it. So he's talking about the cross in these first few verses. Father, glorify me that I might glorify you. I've finished the work that you gave me to do. And now, O Father, and now he is referring to the heavenly glory. Glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee from the beginning or from before the world was. We can only imagine the glory that was his from the beginning. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was light, and the light was the life of man. The word was made flesh, and he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We are told in Colossians that he is before all things, and by him were all things created. And for him, the object of creation. And by him all things are held together. We are told in Philippians that he was in the form of God and thought it not something to be grasped, to be equal with God. The glory that he had with the Father before the world ever was. He's asking now for a return to that place. Being in the form of God, thinking it not robbery or something to be grasped, to be equal with God, he humbled himself or emptied himself and he took on the form of man, became a servant, obedient unto the Father, obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, and wherefore then God hath also highly exalted him. He's praying now that he might again have that glory that was once his, that he left 
to come to this earth to be despised and rejected, to give his life as a ransom for sin. And now, Father, allow me to return to that place of glory. And we read that God has given him a name which is above all name, that at the name of Jesus, God has highly exalted him, given him a name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So God's glory, the Son's glory, that's what it's all about. Give him glory, all ye people. For he said, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were. You gave them to me, and they have kept thy word. So he's praying, or he's he's talking now about the disciples, those that the Father has given to him out of the world. They were yours. You've given them to me, and they have kept your word. And now he said, they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. They began, the disciples began to realize this relationship between the Father and the Son. Whatever belongs to the Father belongs to the Son. Whatever belongs to the Son belongs to the Father. They've come to know that whatever has been given to Jesus really belongs to the Father. We all belong to him. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they've received them, and they have known surely that I came out from thee and they have believed that you did send me. So he's he's speaking of the disciples and of the faith that they had come to in believing that he was sent and that he brought to them the word of God. I pray for them, he said. I pray not for the world. Now, Remember, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But here Jesus says, I I don't pray for the world. That is, he's not praying for the world right now. I'm praying for them. Uh, The reason why he wants us to be one, that the world may know. I mean, his heart is still for the world, that the world may know that you have sent me. But... Right now, Lord, I'm praying for these that you've given to me, to the, for the disciples. I'm not praying for the world generally right now, but specifically for those which you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. There is an interesting passage in Ephesians that speaks about to the praise of the glory of his grace. Here Jesus said, I am glorified in them. They're yours, but they're also mine, and they're mine, and they're also yours. I mean, again, the Father and the Son, inseparable. But we become his, and He is glorified in us. How? 
by our faith and by our trust and by our obedience to his word. And by my faith and trust and obedience, the Father's glorified. He's just, well, that's my boy. (laughs) Do you remember with Job, how God was bragging about Job? Have you seen my servant Job? Good man, upright. He loves good, he hates evil. God was was glorified in Job uh, because of his commitment to the praise of the glory of his grace. God has manifested his grace on you. And God receives glory through your praise at the recognition of his grace. Whenever God manifests his grace, he does these wonderful, beautiful things for us. And from our hearts, there just rises that spontaneity of praise and thanksgiving. Oh, Lord, you're so good. Thank you, Lord. You know, oh, God, you're so wonderful. God's glorified through those praises that we offer to him uh, in, in the spontaneous response to the manifestations of his love and his grace towards us. So here Jesus is praying and he declares in the prayer, I am glorified in them. And now he said, I am no more in the world. You see, he is already committed to the cross and so he talks of of the cross as though it were a past fact. He, He speaks of it as, I have finished the work. I mean, he's, he's committed. And he speaks of it as though it was already done because he knows he's going to do it. And so I am no more in this world. But these are in this world. I'm going to be leaving this world, but they're going to be here. Holy Father, Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me that they may be one as we are. And so now he prays that the Father will keep us through his name. Now, as I mentioned earlier, God is not his name. That's his designation. Lord is not his name. That is his title. Yahweh is his name. Today we use the term Jehovah. We are referring to the same, but Yahweh is his name. And the name Jesus is one of those compound names of Jehovah. It is a shortened form of Jehovah Shua, which means Jehovah is salvation or Yahweh is is salvation, Yahshua in the Hebrew. And it's just the shortened form of Yahweh, Shua, Yahweh is salvation, or we use the J pronunciation today, Jehovah Shua. Keep through thy name. We are kept through the 
power of Jesus Christ and in the name of God. The name Jehovah in the Proverbs says is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and are safe. In the time of temptation, have you ever run into the name of Jesus? I mean, have you just said, oh, Jesus, you know. (laughs) Time of difficulty, time of danger. Have you fled into that name? Oh, how many times I flee into that name. I see danger approaching. I say, oh, Jesus, help. It's a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. While I was with them in the world, he said, I kept them in thy name. Those that you have given to me, I have kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. Those that you gave to me, talking about the 12 disciples, I've kept. None of them is lost except the son of perdition, which is a reference, of course, to Judas Iscariot. Now, there's something interesting about Judas Iscariot. Jesus said, have I not chosen 12 of you, and yet one of you is the devil? It's interesting that here Jesus refers to Judas Iscariot as the son of the devil, son of perdition. Interesting in as much as that is also the title of the Antichrist. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, as Paul is talking about the Antichrist, he refers to him as the son of perdition. And those are the only two places where this title is used. Jesus referring to Judas Iscariot and Paul referring to the Antichrist which gives rise to the opinion of some that Judas Iscariot will somehow be the Antichrist, the son of perdition. It's it's sort of a long shot, but who knows. And now he said, I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The fullness of joy, that they might be fulfilled, Lord, in this joy. I have given them thy word, and the world hates them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Back in the 16th chapter, you remember that Jesus, or the 15th chapter, He said, if you were of the world, verse 19, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And uh, so in chapter 16, these things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended because they're going to put you out of the synagogues. The time is going to come when whoever kills you will think that they're doing God a service. And uh, these things are going to do unto you. Uh, So he speaks to the disciples about how that the world hates him. And of course, they're going to manifest that hatred uh, on uh, the morrow. Actually, it's on the same day in the Jewish uh, reckoning. They would be manifesting that hatred by putting him on the cross. 
And, and he is now in his prayer for them. It's praying uh, that, um, and he's making mention of them, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And so I don't pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil that is in the world. We are here in the world to fulfill the purpose of God, and that's the reason why God leaves us here. If God did not have a purpose for us being here, he surely wouldn't leave us in this dark world. But he leaves us that we might be a light to this dark world, that we might be as salt, that is, a preserving influence in the world. As Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And so that we might bear witness of God's love, that we might show the world through our love for each other and our love for him that Jesus Christ indeed is the Son of God sent into the world to be the Savior of all who will believe in him. We are here for that one purpose, to glorify him and give testimony and witness to the world of Jesus Christ. Now, God loves you so much, he really doesn't want to leave you in this mess in the world. But it is necessary that he have a light in the world. And so you are here for that one purpose of bringing light and bringing hope and bringing the word of God to others. Any other thing that you do is just really, um, I can't think of the word that I want to use, but it's um, superfluous or unnecessary. There's one necessary purpose for you, and that's to bear witness of Jesus Christ to the world. That's it. So he didn't pray that God will take you out of the world yet. There's a purpose and a plan that God has for you and that you might fulfill that purpose. But in the meantime, that you might be kept from the evil that is in the world. Our world is so fraught with evil. It, it is more prevalent than I think at any time in the history of man. Because of the modern means of communication, this generation is exposed to more worldliness, more sin, more evil than any other generation since Adam. Now, the time of Noah, it got so bad that the thoughts and the imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. But they didn't have the means of permeating their world so fully and completely as our world is permeated with evil. 
And so the prayer of Jesus is that you might be kept from the evil, those forces of evil that dominate the world's system. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You ever feel like you're sort of an alien? (laughs) Have you ever said, I really don't belong here? I mean, when I read of stuff that's going on, I, I feel I can't believe this. You know, just, it, it's so prevalent, the, the evil. Uh, reading of this little girl having a party and waiting in the front of the house for the guests to arrive and car drives up and they shoot her, kill her. And her friend that's in the yard with her is shot, you know. And then drive off. I, I can't imagine that. I read of those things, I think, where did they come from? These people that have such little regard for someone else's life. Senseless killings. Where do they come from? The world in which we live is a violent, corrupt place. In the times of Noah, the earth was filled with violence, it said. Jesus said that when he comes... As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Surely the Lord is coming soon. Even as God judged the world of Noah's day, so he will judge this world because of its sin. They are not of the world. Thank God for that. Even as I am not of the world. So set them apart through thy truth. For thy word is truth. Set them apart from the world. Separate them from the world, Lord. Through thy truth, the word of God that washes us, that cleanses us from the defilement of the world. Oh, how important it is. Jesus said, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. As I was saying this morning, we're exposed all day long in the workplace or at school or whatever to to the corruption of the world, to the filth of the world. Till when we come home, having lived in the world, corruption, we feel like we need a bath inside just to get cleansed, to sort of wash out the pollution that has been poured into our minds, the garbage that's been dumped on us. And thus we need to get into the word, daily into the word, that it might have that cleansing effect in our lives. Jesus said, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. I set myself apart that they also might be sanctified through the truth, the truth of God that sets you apart, that frees you, washes you. And neither do I pray for these alone. Now, the first petitions were concerning himself. The next petitions were concerning his disciples. And these final petitions, he goes out beyond just that immediate little band but to all of those who will believe on him through 
their words. So if through the reading of the Bible you have come to a faith in Jesus Christ, then you are included in the final petitions of this prayer of Jesus. He now reaches out to all of those who will believe on him through their word. And what is his prayer? That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. How the divisions in the church, the squabblings, the fightings, how they must hurt the heart of the Father and of the Son, whose prayer is that we might be one. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to agree on every point. Surely there is room for different interpretations of Scripture. And surely there is a place for each of the denominations. And the the gathering together with like-minded people. I had a lady come up to me after service this morning who was quite upset because during the singing of the choruses, she decided she was going to stand up and one of the ushers asked her to sit down. She was very ingracious in her response, but she came up to me afterwards and was really quite upset and angry. And why don't we allow people to stand up when we are worshiping? And I said, because by your standing by yourself, it draws attention to you. We're not interested in the people having their attention drawn to you. We want their attention focused on Jesus Christ. And it is distracting. Well, then, is it a rule of the church? Where do you find it in the Bible? I said, well... The Bible says if my liberty causes a weaker brother to be offended, then I won't exercise that liberty as long as the world lives. And I said, you know, it it offends people when you stand up and draw attention to yourself. Well, she went out. I said, look, why don't you go to the vineyard? Because they stand up there. I mean, that's, that's where the practice sort of originated. So why don't you go over there? And worship there. I mean, uh, they're good people. They love the Lord. They do things that we wouldn't do. Uh, To me, they're a little far out and weird, but uh, I love them. And, And they love the Lord, and they're part of the body of Christ. But it's good that There is a place where if she feels she wants to stand up and all, that she can go. You see, she doesn't have to come here. And and, and so God has a place for the different churches and to attract and appeal to the different temperaments of people. But we shouldn't be divisive. We should see the whole body. We should see the oneness of the body of Christ. And we should seek to promote that oneness of the body of Christ by loving all that are in the body. The Lord's been doing a real work in my life in this issue. 
I used to be a rabid anti-Notre Dame. I mean, anybody that beat Notre Dame, I was all for. But, uh, and, and it was the old Catholic Protestant thing. But anymore, you know, I share a lot of faith with the Catholics. Not everything. I have definite differences. But yet we share so much in our faith in Jesus Christ. And, and so God is helping me to, maybe it's age or whatever, but to mellow out and not to insist that everybody see it as I see it or believe it as I believe it, but to just see the oneness and the unity and to seek for the unity in the whole body of Christ. I would hate to be guilty of really bringing division in the body because then I would be working directly against the prayer of Jesus who is praying that we might be one. That the world, he said, might believe that you have sent me. That oneness of the body that we might be a witness to the world that Jesus Christ indeed is the Son of God sent into the world. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. That's a pretty strong statement. He is willing to share his glory with you. He wants to share his glory with you. Come ye blessed of the Father, he said, inherit the kingdom that's been prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and if sons, heirs, and if heirs, then we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He is willing to share the glory, the inheritance with you. The glory which thou gavest to me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, even as the Father and the Son are inseparable, one, thought, purpose, action, activity. So he wants us to be one. I in them, you in me, that they might be made complete or perfect in one. No one church, no one denomination is complete or perfect. We all need each other. We're all a part of the total, but it takes all of the parts to make the whole. And we need to recognize that and to see that and to acknowledge and, and to live by that. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son, Father, that they might know that you love them just like you love me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory. Father, I want them to be there. I want them to behold my glory. 
Uh, you remember when Peter and James and John were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was transfigured before them and, and his garments began to glisten like they were, there were lights behind them, white and glistening. And there appeared Moses and Elijah talking to him. And, and so Jesus had said, not all of you are going to die until you see the Son of Man in glory. And then he took them up in the mountains and they, they saw him glorified. Well, his desire is that you might see him in his glory. The glory of his reign, his eternal reign. The glory that shall be bestowed upon him when he completes the work of redemption by laying claim to that which he purchased, the redemption of this world. That they might be with me where I am, that they might behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for you have loved me before the foundations of the world. Always have loved me, but that you've loved them too, like you love me. O righteous Father, uh, earlier, O holy Father, now, O righteous Father, the world has not known thee, but I have known thee. Isn't it interesting, so often the world thinks they know him? Isn't it interesting, all of the false concepts that people have concerning God? the wrong ideas that they have concerning God. Satan has surely been out working overtime to distort the truth of the nature of God in the minds of people. And they really don't know God. So often they think of God only in the terms of fierce judgment, harshness, Hardness. And they don't know that he is a compassionate, merciful, gracious God. They really don't know you, Jesus said. But I have known you, and these have known you that thou hast sent to me. And I have declared unto them your name and I will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Sort of the final petition here. I've declared your name. I will declare it. For what purpose? That the love wherewith the Father loves him may be in us as Jesus dwells in us. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful prayer. The prayer of our Lord for himself, for his disciples, and for us who have come to believe in him. Chapter 18, Gospel of John. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. Now, this means that this prayer in the 17th chapter of John 
uh, was spoken before they got to the Garden of Gethsemane. Somewhere between where they had the Last Supper, the end of chapter 14, they left the house where they had had the supper. So up until chapter 14, you have the conversation of Jesus. Uh, they're in the room where they had the, uh, where they had, uh, the uh, Passover feast. And then chapter 15 uh, and 16 were on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane as also was the prayer of Christ. Evidently, they stopped somewhere along the way, and Jesus uh, uttered this fabulous prayer uh, that we studied last Sunday night, the 17th chapter. Uh, so uh, at the end of chapter 14, it says, Arise, let's go. And so they left the upper room where they had the Passover supper, and the conversations on the way, the prayer of Jesus and now they are getting to the Mount of Olives. You have to cross the uh, brook of Kidron to get over to the Mount of Olives. And there was a garden there called Gethsemane. The word means an olive press. Uh, evidently, uh, some wealthy person had given Jesus the key to the garden. The Mount of Olives were covered with private gardens. Uh, the wealthy people of Jerusalem had gardens on the Mount of Olives, and uh, they could not really have gardens within Jerusalem. They had some kind of rule uh, that you couldn't use fertilizer within the city, and so they had their gardens over on the uh, Mount of Olives, and uh, they were private gardens, gated gardens. And so no doubt someone uh, had given to Jesus the key to the garden. He used it often as a place uh, that he would go and spend the night with his disciples. And uh, it was a place that was familiar to them. So he crossed the brook uh, where was the garden in which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. It was a, a, a place that was well known uh, to all of the disciples. It was a place that they went quite often. Judas then, having received a band of men. The word band here in the Greek is stereon. And it is an interesting uh, word because it refers to a uh, unit of uh, Roman soldiers. And it could refer to as few as 600. Uh, also, it could refer to a unit of 1,200 with 200 uh, cavalrymen. And uh, it also referred to a unit up to 1,600. So taking the smaller number, uh, there was a, quite a number of soldiers that came with the servants of the high priest and all to the garden to arrest Jesus, having received the band, the uh, Styrion, or Spirion. Uh, so uh, 
They came with the officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees came with their lanterns and torches and weapons. They probably figured that Jesus was going to try to hide somewhere. And so they had lanterns and torches. You see, there was a full moon because this was Passover. And uh, Passover took place on the third uh, full moon after our new year. Uh, and uh, after the Jewish calendar, it was uh, the, April was their first month of the year. And so the Passover always took place uh, on the full moon of the first month. And so uh, this was Passover and uh, they had the full moon. So it was quite bright. So they figured, no doubt, that Jesus would be lurking somewhere in a cave or, or hiding. And so they had lanterns and torches with them, as well as their weapons. But Jesus, therefore, knowing all things should come, that should come upon him, he went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? Uh, he didn't try and hide someplace, but he went right forth, met them, and uh, just asked them, Who are you looking for? Who are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. And Jesus said unto them, Ego imi, I am. The word he is in italics note, which means that it was added by the translators. Jesus just said, I am. He used that name of the eternal God, Yahweh, uh, the I am, that I am. And when he spoke that name, I am, uh, there was such force, such power, that uh, as soon as he had said unto them, I am, they went backwards and fell to the ground. Uh, just here is a manifestation of, of just that when he would utter the words, I am, is so dynamic, so powerful that they fell over backwards. And so he asked them again, whom seek ye? Uh, and uh, again, they said, Jesus, the Nazarene. And he answered, I've told you that I am. And if therefore you seek me, let these go their way. Notice how that Jesus is more or less taking charge. He's ordering them. Uh, they've come to arrest him and all, uh, but yet they, they recognize that he has authority. And so he's ordering them, okay, if you're seeking me, then let these fellows go. Let them go their way. Again, the protection of Jesus for his disciples, looking out after them. Um, you can arrest me. That's part of the plan. But also a part of the plan is that they be set free. So I told you that I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled, which he spake of them, which thou gavest to me, I lost none. The uh, prophecy was, Smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And Jesus said, all of you are going to be offended this night because of me. 
And uh, it, it was the scattering of the disciples. They, uh, they fled. But Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it. Now, it, it, they had, remember, a sparion of, uh, of soldiers, quite a few, uh, at the least 200. That's a, that's a smaller unit than a sparion, but uh, the smallest unit would be 200. Peter's ready to take him on. Now, you may fault Peter uh, for his denying the Lord under the pressure, but hey, Peter's ready to take on the whole band. I mean, he's going to swing. And, and, you know, I'll go down swinging. I, I like Peter. I really like him. He's my kind of a guy. Uh, you know, if we're going to go down, let's go down swinging. And uh, uh, at least let's put up a, a, an effort. And so he drew his sword and uh, he smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Now, John doesn't record for us the prayer of Jesus in the garden. He no doubt felt that it was not necessary because the other Gospels had already been written and were widely circulated. And the other Gospels all record for us uh, the prayer of Jesus in the garden, which he repeated three times when Jesus, uh, you know, said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. The cup referring to the cross. If man can be saved by good works, then let's set out the criteria of works that they must do. If man can be saved by relig being religious, let's set out the form of religion. If man can be saved by any other means, let this cup pass from me if it's possible. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So now, having resolved the issue, he says, the cup that the Father has given me to drink, shall I not drink it? Referring to the cross and is going to the cross. He is committed now to the will of the Father. As we are told in Philippians, he emptied himself, became as a servant obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, submitting himself to the will of the Father. I did not come, he said, to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So uh, the cup which the Father has given me to drink, shall I not drink it? Then the band, and there's that Spirion again, and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him. And I, I think of uh, this, how foolish it was for them to bind him. It was totally unnecessary. And those handcuffs or whatever they put on him, however they bound him with the ropes or whatever, that's not what held him. 
We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the Gospel of John in our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on the arrest of Jesus. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order John 17 through 18 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Father, we thank you for your love, your love for your Son, your love for us. And Lord, we thank you that we have this hope of being with you to behold your glory, the glory that you had before the world ever was, to be there around the throne, to join with that innumerable multitude as they worship the Lamb and Him who sits upon the throne. Lord, how empty this world is. How shallow are its joys. How fickle is its fame. Lord, you endure Your word endures, and the glory is thine forever. Lord, draw us into an ever deeper and deepening relationship. Draw us to yourself. Fill us with your love and with yourself. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. For years, Pastor Chuck was asked thousands of questions. This new guy that my mom married, he thinks that the Christian beliefs are foolish, and I was wondering if that's going to like affect my mom's walk. I'm a Christian. I'm trying to fight the addiction of smoking, and are those things going to keep me from going in the rapture? Is it okay to use your tithe and give it to someone who's going on a mission trip instead of giving it directly to church? The Word for Today is pleased to present an ebook called Biblical Counseling by Chuck Smith, listing over 200 topics that include Pastor Chuck's commentary and the scripture references he used. Topics include addiction, business relationships, depression, lawsuits, sexuality, training children, and so much more. 
To download the Biblical Counseling ebook by Chuck Smith, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link provided. Or you can call 1-800-272-9673.